0: Really honored that you guys would come and be a part uh, of Outlet. Outlet is, um, it's just an honest, open community. That's what our heart is here that would uh, welcome absolutely everybody. And our vision is to relentlessly search for Jesus in absolutely everything that we do. Uh, here's what I was hoping that we could do real quick. I don't know if you guys had uh, heard the news, but I'm wondering if we could just pray super fast. But um, there were two bombs that went off today in Las Cruces at, at churches. Nobody was, nobody was hurt miraculously, but even as of short of maybe like an hour or two ago, there was a, a bomb threat and, and like a, some mysterious stuff happening at Calvary here in town, and so they evacuated all of uh, the campus of Calvary. So uh, everybody, everybody is going to be fine. That's what I believe. But I, I do think that we uh, as believers can pray for that, and we could also just pray for the peace of everyone involved. So can you guys just pray with me real quick, then we'll get in on it. Father, we believe that you are the God of peace. You're a God who who watches over us. You're a God who cares for us, who loves us. And so uh, with all this stuff, with the bombs and the scares and the fear, Father, we believe that the God of peace is coming and uh, bringing uh, peace to the situation. Lord, we believe that uh, these attacks or attempts won't be successful in in the name of Jesus. And we also believe uh, that your spirit is there to comfort us and to give us courage as the body of Christ, Father. We lift up those precious people to you and declare that they're going to be able to sleep fine. They're going to be able to go to work. They're going to be able to go to church without fear. And so we just thank you for that, Father, that your spirit and your peace is going in uh, and calming uh, their hearts and their minds. So we're going to say thank you. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Everybody said? Amen. 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 Well, again, welcome. We're so glad that you guys are here. We are in a big, crazy series on the book of Revelation. Raise your hand if you have ever tried to read the book of Revelation even a tiny bit. Some of you have not. I don't blame you. It can be a little bit uh, a little bit scary. The book of Revelation is the last book in the Bible, and it's without a doubt one of the most loved slash hated books uh, in the Bible. And I think what happens to a lot of people is they either just don't understand it, or maybe it just scares the pants off them so they don't uh, read it. But I think more dangerously, oftentimes, if you're not careful, you can use the book of Re- Revelation to paint a false picture of God that ultimately stops people from trusting him. Because, like, why would you why would you trust a God that you know has said that like at the very end He loves all these people, but then at the very end He's just going to come and slaughter everybody? Uh, But that's what a lot of people think, and so even though they would agree with it because they think that's what they're supposed to do uh, in their hearts, I think that can be a major uh, barrier in people really trusting uh, the goodness of God. So we're in this series. Last week we talked about Jesus and His apparent use of violence uh, in the Old Testament, and there was way too much content. Obviously. Uh, But we we talked about how there's some of these scenes, particularly probably three scenes that it looks like in Revelation that uh, God uses violence against people. But if read correctly, how it can actually point uh, the exact opposite. The book of Revelation shows a God who defeats the empires of deception that keep people in bondage. So this is what I had you write down last week. And if you weren't there, we're just doing super cleft notes. Uh, God, he slays lies in order to free the people. He doesn't slaughter the people. It's a very different way of reading the book of Revelation. We've said, you don't have to agree with all of this. We're not into groupthink. I'm not the rabbi uh, here in the Christian faith. It's just your relationship with him, but hopefully I can point you in the right direction. But we've read some of these stories when it comes to the armies of God. This is 144,000 that you read in the book of Revelation or the final war. You see, uh, you actually see that God doesn't shed blood, but it's his blood that is shed because of his incredible love for other people. And then uh, we talked about the wine press. It's like the most bloody, probably, story in the entire Bible where blood is five feet high for 200 miles uh, long, but we actually, when understand correctly, what you're reading is that it's his followers whose blood has been shed because of their commitment to follow him, to follow the lamb. But in all of those scenarios, God doesn't do the slaughtering. If you are not here, just listen to the podcast. There's, I explain all of that in great detail. I would love for you guys to check out uh, the podcast of last week. Uh, also, last week I told you that I was just going to do two more weeks of this uh, message, that this week I was going to do one more week, and then next week I was going to do a Q&A session. Well, I've changed my mind, so I'm doing something different now. I started studying, and I decided to go a different way. Um, I'm going to add one week after the Q&A session, so there's this one. Next week is the Q&A session, and then the last week we're going to close it out uh, in kind of like a, a wrap-up. Tonight I want to talk to you about frogs. Thank you. <laughs> frogs. Uh, hopefully, I'm hoping that this would be a tiny bit of fresh air for you guys. Your, your, your theology uh, muscles are starting to fatigue. We're going to take a tiny bit of a break. I'm not going to have as much scripture, so I'm going to be quite as intense, but uh, I think it's really important. I've talked to a lot of people about uh, the series and kind of questions they've had. I've read all the great questions that you guys have submitted for the Q&A session. Um, And I think a lot of people have kind of had this sentiment when it comes to my interpretation or what we've been talking about as far as the right way to interpret the book of Revelation. And people start wondering, well, does any of this really apply to like modern times and the issues that the world is going through uh, kind of today? And so we've talked about how the book of Revelation is not a crystal ball in which we can see geopolitical events of the 21st century That's not the purpose of the book, but that's not to say that there uh, aren't things that we need to apply today. In fact, there's a really strong warning that I think applies to us as the church of Jesus Christ uh, in the 21st century, and it comes in the form of frogs. Okay, so here we go. First off, we're gonna talk about Armageddon. Everybody say Armageddon. Armageddon. Revelation chapter 16. Uh, If you're taking notes, Revelation 16 verse 13 says this. And I saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs leap from the mouths of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. They are demonic spirits who work miracles and go out to all the rulers of the world. Why? To gather them for battle. Verse 16. And the demonic spirits, this is the frogs, gathered all the rulers and their armies to a place with the Hebrew name Armageddon. So... Armageddon, the, the Bible uses the word Armageddon one time, right here in Revelation 16, 16. Yet there are a few uh, words that have captured the popular imagination uh, of the, the 21st century church more than the idea of Armageddon. So Armageddon, one time in the Bible right here, and uh, it's a Hebrew word, and it means this, Valley of Megiddo which is kind of a weird uh, thing. I actually have a picture. This is the Valley of Megiddo. This is what uh, Armageddon means. This is in Northern Israel. In fact, if you were to ever go on a tour of the Holy Land, has anybody ever done a tour of the Holy Land? So jealous. Okay, one, two, just a few people. Well, if you were to ever go on one, this would be one of the stops that you would make. Almost all of the tours of the Holy Land would stop at the Valley of Megiddo. I was talking with Marshall and Cindy at lunch today, and they have both been multiple times to the Valley of Megiddo. So uh, it's, it's kind of, I guess you could say it's a, an ancient town. I mean, it's just, it's just ruins now, but it used to be a town. Maybe you could say like a city, but it's basically a little town. And it almost looks like, wouldn't you agree, it looks like it's on the top of a hill, And uh, that's sort of true. But uh, actually, Megiddo was, back in the day, it was a town that's in this big valley. That's why they call it the Valley of Megiddo. That's what uh, the word Armageddon means. And what's interesting about the Valley of Megiddo is this. uh, The Valley of Megiddo, it was built and destroyed 26 times. And uh, it was just basically what they do is they just rebuild on the rubble of the previous city. So it's built and then destroyed and then they rebuild on top, and so that's basically uh, what you're seeing here. Uh, and over time, it just kind of looks like a hill. It's actually what we call a tell. A tell is uh, it's defined as this a hill created by many generations of people living and rebuilding on the same spot. So that's what you have in the Valley of Megiddo in Israel. And uh, the reason Megiddo was built and destroyed, built and destroyed built and destroyed, built and destroyed, 26 times uh, was because of wars. Every time that Megiddo was destroyed, it was because of some sort of war. In fact, it turns out the Valley of Megiddo, it's just situated where uh, these armies, the armies of the north, like Assyria, Babylon, and the armies of the south were Egypt. They just happened to be traveling. And uh, sweet Megiddo, this small town, just kind of found themselves in the way of uh, these huge, massive armies and huge, massive wars. So it kept just being destroyed, and they would try to rebuild just to be destroyed again 26 times. Uh, so I think it's kind of interesting. Uh, it, unfortunately, it's just basically in the way it's really rich ge- uh, geologically. In fact, you can go down because there's 26 layers of civilization that is in this, it's in this hill, so it's really rich. I mean, you can dig, and you can find out all sorts of different uh, interesting things. But to a a first century Jew, if I was to use the word Armageddon, they would immediately think the Valley of Megiddo. See, like for, you know, they would instantly identify it as a place of battles and wars. See, popular, popular, like 21st century now, if someone were to say Armageddon, it would be like, well, what we're talking about, especially to a Christian, they'd think, well, we're talking about some sort of final, inevitable, bloody war that happens at the end of time. Uh, That's an idea that's been used and abused by many of the uh, popular misinterpreters of the book of Revelation throughout the generations to hear them tell it. The way it would sound would be something like this Uh, The world is being drawn to an inevitable, violent, unpreventable, horrific war. And there must be this war, they say, uh, because it's in the Bible. So it has to happen. And because people believe that, because people believe that there's some huge ultimate bloody war that the world is ultimately uh, heading to, uh, you, people will read about a war, you know, or like they'll see it in the news or see it in the newspaper, some sort of war, especially the, like so, a war in the Middle East, which is not a particularly uncommon occurrence. And these people, they're, they're prone to recognize it as part of God's plan. You ever, ever heard anybody like that? Like they see suffering and they see famine on TV and they think somehow like that this is somehow fulfilling something that happens uh, in the Bible. So they've got this idea like, man, we've got to have this big freaking war and then somehow that's going to help God basically uh, come back. And there's some segments of Christianity that they'll watch the news and they're anticipating destruction. Hopefully they'll hide it a little bit Hopefully, at least they like they wouldn't tweet about it too much. They'd hide it. Maybe they wouldn't. I don't know, but they would hide it a, a tiny bit um, because there's people in the Christian faith today that anticipate war as part of God's plan. So let me make a, a suggestion. The first thing I would love for you to write down is this: those who anxiously anticipate war make terrible peacemakers. People who anxiously anticipate war make terrible peacemakers. Uh, see, you can't be a peacemaker and you secretly long for war. You have to choose one. So you have to long for peace or you can long for war, but you can't choose both. And so we're in this series about revelation where we're trying to rescue revelation from this horrible uh, or it's horrible misinterpretations. I've said this before, but I'd love for you to write it down if you haven't written it down before. Revelation is not a crystal ball in which we see geopolitical events of the 21st century. It's just not. That's not what this book is. We're not the primary audience. In fact, there's some things that talk about the future, but it's primarily about revealing the character of Jesus Christ. And it's also, we've talked about this before, but it's also an encouragement to the martyrs, these seven very specific churches that were about to give their life for Jesus Christ. Where, get this, everything in the book is symbol. Everything in the book, we've talked about how it's apocalyptic literature. It was a very famous type of literature that has lots of surreal elements uh, in it. We we, uh, encounter, you read it, and you you encounter a lamb who has seven horns and seven eyes. And then later on, it's revealed that that's actually Jesus. So Jesus doesn't have seven eyes, but he does have perfect wisdom. And Jesus doesn't have perfect seven horns, but he does have perfect power. So it doesn't mean it's not true. It's all true, but it's not meant to be taken literally. So as a, as a 21st century Christian, I'm not looking at the sea waiting for some monster with seven heads to emerge from the sea, but I am looking for what that symbolizes. So it's a little bit of a different way of thinking. And one of the reasons that the symbols for us are so kind of mysterious is that we're 2,000 years removed from their context. I've used this analogy, but I'll try it one more time. Picture me putting up a a graphic of some political cartoon and let's say we had an elephant uh, and there was a donkey and there was an elephant and he was holding, let's say, a teacup and kicking the donkey and you knew something about basically uh, American culture and politics of today, you would be able to say, well, it's probably got something to do with the Democrats and the Republicans. And, you know, the teacup probably has something to do with like the Tea Party. I don't know, something like that. You would be able to put together some of these big pieces because of your understanding of our culture. But if we were to take that and hold on to it for about 2,000 years and show it to somebody who knew next to nothing about American politics or our culture, like what would you say the odds are that they would understand that cartoon? I'd say probably next to nothing. They wouldn't understand it. And so we, if we want to understand this book, we have to understand that we have to read it through their uh, political and their like social context, not our own. And it's true of every book of the Bible. People know this, but for some reason they forget it when it comes to revelation is that the primary meaning of a book is the meaning that it would have had to the original audience. It applies to us just like all books of the Bible apply to us, but we are secondary And if you take it out, if you pull it out from the context of where it was written and you apply it directly to us without understanding the culture in which it was written, you're gonna misunderstand it. Okay, so we've been talking about how we are followers of the, lamb. the first scene in this big epic vision that John has uh, is people in this big throne room and they're all trying to understand the character of God. There's this scroll and it, this scroll shows the character of God and they're like, darn, nobody can open it. Nobody can open up this scroll. Uh, so we'll never know who God is. It'll always be a mystery to us. And so one person says, I know, I know who can open it. The lamb of the tribe of, or the lion of the tribe of Judah, this big ferocious lion God. It was the God they were all expecting. So they look, and if that was the way that God's character really was, then that would have been the character to open the seal. But then when they go and they look and they try to find this ferocious warrior God, what they see instead is a tiny little lamb looking as if it had just been slain. And then John tells us that we, the people who are reading this story, our responsibility is to follow the lamb wherever he goes. It's a God who leads not by powering over people, but by the power of self-sacrificial love. The power of not by slaughtering others, but by laying down his life for other people. So we are people who, uh, we're looking for God's new kingdom. We're waiting for his, we believe that there's a new kingdom coming, which God will rule, and there's no pain, there's no suffering, there's no wars, there's no violence, and we are the people who are praying, thy kingdom come. That's our prayer, is that we are anxiously, anxiously awaiting his kingdom to come. What we are not looking for is another Armageddon as followers of the Lamb, because there's always another Armageddon. If history has taught us anything, it's that there's always another Armageddon. There's always, there's always another reason to slaughter thousands and thousands and thousands of people. But as a follower of the Lamb, that's not what I want. That's not, that's not what I'm going for. In fact, that's actually the opposite of what I'm going for because I'm a follower not of the lion, not of the beast, not of the dragon. I'm a follower of the lamb who lays down his own life for his love for other people. Armageddon is only inevitable if we follow the frogs and not the lamb. I'll point that out and I'll explain to you. But Armageddon is only inevitable if we follow the frogs and not the Lamb. Let's go back to the scripture, Revelation 16 16. It says this And the demonic spirits, was talking about the frogs, remember? The demonic spirits gathered all the rulers and their armies to a place with the Hebrew name Armageddon. So, Jesus, so remember, John, he's having this vision and he sees all these characters. We went over them like kind of a lot last week, but there was a dragon. There was a beast, there was a false prophet, there was a prostitute. And, uh, but we see with the dragon, the beast, the false prophet, one thing I didn't tell you last week is that they all have a frog coming out of their mouth. And so I know some of you really clever people are thinking, doesn't the dragon have seven heads? Well, it's just theoretical. So I don't know if there were seven frogs, but it's not the point. It's not to be taken literally. But there's a frog coming out of the mouth of all of these different things. And it just says, and it says, these are demonic spirits. We don't have to try to understand, like, what do the frogs symbolize? It just says it. These are demonic spirits. Okay, and you might be thinking, okay, and what do they do? What are these demonic spirits in the mouth, the mouth of the beast? What do they do? Well, it actually says they deceive rulers that have armies. Their job is to deceive rulers who have armies. So basically, you could think that, well, that's probably political leaders. That's probably military leaders. And under the spell of the dragon, who we know is Satan, these rulers and their armies lead the world to Armageddon. That's their job. Uh, to, to, To Armageddon, to Hiroshima. These frogs lead the world to Normandy, to Vietnam, to Pearl Harbor, to Auschwitz. That's how, that's how an early New Testament Christian would have read it, because they instantly would have thought Armageddon was not just this big theoretical battle. They knew that this was a place where there was constant bloodshed and war. That's how the readers would have understood this. So they would have immediately understood that what he's talking about is we're talking about leaders taking the people to a place of bloodshed and war. Here's my point. John. When it comes to Armageddon, John is not prophesying that this will happen. He's warning us to not let this happen. And it's a very different way of understanding it. Because because again, this is not God who who is taking these people. It's actually God's enemy that's taking these people to Armageddon. It's only inevitable when the leaders of the world are influenced by the frogs, which are the demonic spirits, and they then go and lead people to Armageddon and the people follow those leaders. That's what has to happen in order for us to ultimately end up in Armageddon. The good news is this, it doesn't have to be this way. In fact, this is, this is what's happening here is that he's painting a picture uh, contrasting what it looks like to follow something other than the lamb. See, he's already talked about we are supposed to follow the lamb wherever he goes. And then he paints another picture about people who are blindly following frogs to war. And so he's saying like, this is not us that we're the people who follow the lamb. These are the people who follow the frogs to Armageddon. So a few character definitions for you. Hope you're doing okay. Dragon, we've talked about the dragon. We did these last week. The dragon is just the devil. And we know that because he says so in chapter 12. He just says, well, the dragon is the devil. So we know. Uh, Yes. So next we have Babylon. You hear a lot about Babylon. Babylon symbolizes Rome, their struggle against Rome and all the empire of the world. So when you read Babylon, it's talking about Rome, but in a more general sense to apply to us, it's talking about all the empires of the world. Next, we have the beast, which symbolizes the violence of Babylon. AKA Rome. Uh, John doesn't straight up say this, but he pretty much does in a lot of different places in the book, specifically Revelation 9. And uh, he actually goes, or excuse me, Revelation 17, he actually goes and he talks about uh, not only just the violence of Rome in a real general sense, he talks about particularly the, the violence of Rome that's personified by this guy, an evil guy. I bet some of you, Revelation uh, nerds, have been waiting for him to pop up. And uh, it's the Roman emperor, emperor of the time, Nero Caesar. Uh, You can actually see uh, Nero Caesar, he was one of the most oppressive people in the Christian faith throughout the history of time. Uh, In fact, uh, if you're curious, this is what 666 means. When we're talking about the mark uh, of the beast, there was this old old practice, I guess, and it was called uh, gematria. And so it's basically where they would go. It was a system of numerology, this is what I wrote, that assigns a numerical value to a word or to a phrase. So like if my name was David, they would be able to add up the D and the A and the V and the I and the D. And they would be able to get something that would be a number. And that would be basically the number of my name. And so what's interesting is the Greek spelling of Nero Caesar comes out unsurprisingly to 666. And so, and what's interesting, check this out. That is in the Greek spelling. Interestingly, they also used a Latin spelling. uh, And it had like basically one less letter in uh, Nero Caesar. And so Nero Caesar in that particular case was 616, not 666. And you can see in some manuscripts of the Bible, some of the, like the newer, I guess, manuscripts of the Bible, it says 616 and not 666. But that actually just strengthens the point that what this, the New Testament believers would have immediately identified is what they're talking about is this man, Nero Okay, continuing on, the prostitute. We have the prostitute, uh, a.k.a. the W-H-O-R-E of Babylon. Y'all know that one. Uh, It symbolizes the immorality of Babylon in the same way. So next we have, and this is a new one, a new character we didn't talk about last week, but we're going to talk really briefly, and it's the false prophet. Uh, It says the false prophet more often than the false prophet. It actually says the other beast which is kind of interesting. But if you ever read about the other beast, it's talking about the false prophet. Well, and this is what we know about the false prophet, that it convinces people to worship the first beast, not the dragon. He's not convincing you to worship Satan. He's convincing you to worship Nero. So uh, he also forces you to get the beast's mark 666 on your right hand and on your forehead. This is probably a good time to tell you that there was this rising cult around 70, 80 AD, where they worshiped the emperor who was Nero as a living God. And there was lots of priests dedicated to this new rising religion. And so there was a lot of these priests. And so these guys were like prophets, but they were like false prophets. They were, they, instead of pointing to the lamb, they were pointing people to the beast. And instead of, getting, instead of getting God's number, the lamb's mark on your body, you were getting Nero's mark by, by worshiping him as a living uh, God. Okay, so these were people who rallied people. Listen to this. These were people, these priests, the false prophets, these were people who rallied people around a dangerous lie. And in that particular case, the dangerous lie was that Nero was God. So for us, when we, when we read it today, we can see that the false prophet, this symbolizes the voices that rally people around dangerous lies. I actually heard a pastor say that what the, the false prophet represents is the propaganda that would lead people to rally behind a lie. So uh, you can actually see this. This happens over and over and over and over throughout history. There's there's lies. There's people who are, for some reason, for one reason or other, are incredibly good at rallying people around a totally bogus idea. In fact, ask yourself this question: Like, how was Hitler and the Nazis? How were they able to lead uh, a Christian nation to the Holocaust? you might be thinking, you might be thinking, well, they weren't a Christian nation. Yeah, they were. They were a Christian nation. In fact. Uh, census in 1939, it says this, that Nazi Germany, 54% identified themselves as Protestant and 40% identified themselves as Catholic. So less, so 94% of Nazi Germany would have professed to be followers of Jesus Christ. This is a weird thing. In fact, you can even see, I have a picture of a Nazi belt buckle. This is what they wore back in the day. This, uh, this says Gott mit uns, and uh, for you uh, linguists, that means God is with us. And that's what they all are. God is with us. So it's, they, they were very skilled. Listen, Nazi Germany, they were very skilled at the whole false prophet thing and their ability to rally people around a dangerous lie. Like, you know, why did, why, for you history buffs, why did Germany invade Poland. It's like one of the first things that, uh, that they did. It, well, You might be saying, well, because Hitler was a lunatic and you know he was like obsessed with conquering the world and that's basically like where he started. And you'd be, you'd be sort of true. I mean, that'd be correct, but that's not what he said. See, he said, he said, man, we need to go in there to protect the German people who are being persecuted in there. And this, like, there's like some truth in that, but it was mostly a dangerous lie that rallied people Behind, behind him in a dangerous way. It was, it was propaganda. It was a dangerous lie. And so all around us, even today, 2015, all around us, there's frogs that would like to rally us around dangerous lies. So when you, today, when you hear lies like, all Muslims are terrorists, all Jews are greedy, you know, like, my country, right or wrong, you hear lies like that, you can be confident that in Revelation language, what you're hearing is the lies that spew from demonic frogs that live in the mouth of corrupt leaders. That's what you're seeing. And this is the warning that John is saying. He's like, look, these are not the people we're following. We're people who follow the lamb. We lay our lives down. These, these, are the, these are the people who are very skilled because of this demonic influence. By the way, it says the frogs, they're given power by, unsurprisingly, uh, the dragon. So these are, these are demonic spirits that deceive leaders that, in turn, uh, deceive us. And so when we listen to them, we can be confident that we end up in Armageddon. When we listen to them, we are confident that we end up, list, you know, ending up in Auschwitz, in Hiroshima or whatever, whatever, uh, and you know, comes next, whatever it is. Let the world retain in memory that mighty tongues tell mighty lies. And if mankind must have an enemy, let it be his warlike pride. Let it be his warlike pride. So when you hear Christians coming, all that to say, when you hear Christians coming and saying, man, hooray for another Armageddon, isn't that great? Like, just remind yourself that Armageddon comes from following the frogs. And we don't follow frogs. We follow the lamb. We, and we can't follow both. At the end of the day, you have to choose who you will serve and whose flag you will fly. You have to choose that. It, I, it, and listen, I am not making a political... If, hopefully, I'm like being ambiguous enough that you can't even tell what side I'm on here. But if, if, you, if your political beliefs and your religious beliefs line up perfectly, you might need to re-examine your religious beliefs because it says in the Bible that the way of the cross is foolishness to the world. And you have to, you have to decide that at the end of the day, the flag I will fly is the flag of the Lamb. And the world's not going to understand that. I know I'm not going to partner with everybody perfectly. There's not going to be the world. They're, they're going to think I'm a freak. Because I think differently. But man, I believe that the way of peace, the way of the peaceful lamb is the way to God's new kingdom. I don't follow the frogs. The frogs know the way to Armageddon and the lamb knows the way to thy kingdom come. And you have to choose who you wanna follow. So tonight I wanna be really clear about something. Take a drink. I wanna be super duper clear on one thing, and it's this. When it comes to you and understanding the way that this whole thing is gonna end up, you need to be assured of this fact that there doesn't have to be war for Jesus to return. There does not have to be war for Jesus to return. You might be thinking, yeah, huh, somebody told me on TBN that Russia's gotta invade Israel for Jesus to come back. no, they don't. They, they just don't. And you'd be like, yes, it is. It's prophesied. No, it's not. It's not. In fact, it's warned against. It's saying this. These are the types of voices that we as followers of the Lamb cannot follow. And Jesus is going to come back, but he doesn't need war. I mean, it, it's, just, it's just crazy. That's, that, as, as a follower of Jesus Christ, that's not what I'm hoping for. That's not what I'm supporting as a follower of the Lamb. That's not the flag that I fly. Jesus is not in the business of leading nations to war. I want you to know that. Like, you, you, I, I'll tell you this you don't want to get God and the devil mixed up. You, you want to get those two figured out. And it's pretty clear when you read the Bible that it's actually the devil's business seeking, killing, destroying, it's not confusing. That's the devil's business. That's not Jesus's business, and it's not our business to be seekers, to be killers, and to destroyers. Our business, any, any, any guesses, is to be peacemakers, peacemakers. That's what we are called uh, to be. It says this, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons and daughters of God. It's not like blessed are the suspicious, for they shall be able to detect who's working for the Antichrist. Like... No, listen. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed, and so what, ask yourself, why would why would peacemakers be recognized as sons and daughters of God? Well, it's because we'd be about our Father's business. We'd be we'd be doing what His job is, and His business is to bring peace to the nations. And so, man, there's these precious Christians. I, I'm, guys, I'm almost done, if you can believe it. I, know I, don't, I don't have as much content. But there's these precious Christians in the world today uh, that deeply, deeply, I mean, in their heart, they want Jesus to come. They want, that, like, you know, it's like, man, if, he, if we could take a vote, they would raise both hands. Because they love, they just love Jesus. And they want him to come. But, man, somebody told them a lie. A frog told them a lie that if they want Jesus to come, well, what they need, I guess what we need to be doing is awaiting war in the Middle East, No, you're not. It's not, the the warning is that these are the voices that we have to resist, not these are the voices that we have to uh, believe. There doesn't have to be war for Jesus to return. People do the same thing with earthquakes. It's just so crazy, you know, because Jesus indicated that there was gonna be some earthquakes and there was gonna be famine uh, leading up to the destruction of Jerusalem, which happened, uh, you know, know, in, in like the, you know, 90 AD, in the 90s, not, 1990s, but in the 90s. But this happened. But people, of course, they'll read those scriptures and they'll want to make it all about us. And so now Christians are the only people in the world that will like turn on the TV, see famine and earthquakes and say like, man, praise God. It's the last days. Like, is, there, is there anything like less Jesus-like than like saying like, praise God when we see the destruction of his beloved people? We cannot, we cannot be those people. And, and listen, of course, it's the last days. You know, it's it's been the last days for two thousand years now. In fact, John says in First John uh, two eighteen, dear children, this is the last hour. This is the last, and you might be thinking, well, you know what? We mean, we mean like the last of the last of the last days. It's like, this is, well, this is the last. This is the lastest that the days have ever been, right here, right now. It is. So of course it's, it's the last days, but you can be waiting. You can be waiting saying, come Lord Jesus, without watching the news awaiting Armageddon. You, you don't, that doesn't need to happen. And as followers of the lamb, our prayer and what we need to be going for, what we need to be watching for is not Armageddon. Is not the way of the frogs. It's the way of the lamb. How can, how can I today lay down my life for somebody else? And that's what you need to be thinking about. Can I get the band to come up here? Uh, so you might be thinking, uh, I, I just wonder, you may, you may not, but I was thinking, I was just wonder if some people might be thinking, so what, David, are you like some weird hippie that thinks the world is just going to like all get along? You know, like you think before Jesus comes back, like we're all just going to find a way to be cool with each other and we're not going to have to like defend ourselves. Well, I'm not saying that, but I do believe that peace is the direction that we are supposed to be heading as followers of the Lamb. And we see, this is, what, this is what we're supposed to do. We see God's coming kingdom. We see what his coming kingdom is supposed to look like, and we strive to live that right now. Because we see, we see in his coming kingdom, there won't be bitterness in God's coming kingdom, so we strive to get rid of that now. That's, that's our calling. We see that there won't be jealousy in God's coming kingdom, so we strive to get rid of that right now. We see that there won't be suffering in God's coming kingdom. So we strive to get rid of that now. We see that there's no, uh, you know, eye for an eye in God's coming kingdom. So we strive to get rid of that now. We are the people who follow the lamb and say, thy kingdom come. Imagine, you know, someday you're standing in front of God and, and God says, hey man, I noticed that you were like always walking towards with everything that you could, the best of your ability, you were walking towards my new kingdom." I imagine he might say something along the lines of like, well done, good and faithful servant. You lived thy kingdom come. That's what you live. Or or maybe, you know, you, you go in front of God and he's like, what did you do? And you say, well, you know, I read my Bible a lot and I made all these really cool, like end time charts and, you know, and I, and I secretly looked forward to war and famine. I can just picture God saying, man, why didn't you just feed somebody? Like, why, why, why didn't you work for peace? That's my business. Why, why, why were you sitting around hoping that the devil's business would be done? It's, it's my business, is peace. And what, and what we as followers of him, I know I keep saying it, we as followers of him, we are followers of the lamb saying, thy will be done. The book of Revelation warns us that war is only inevitable when we follow the beast instead of the lamb. When we believe the frogs who are continually leading us into war because the things that we believe as followers of Christ are crazy to the world. Make peace with that. Make peace with you never agreeing 100% with a political party because all of them are going to think that the way that you live is a little bit crazy if you believe that the way we fight our battles is by laying down our lives. It's always going to be slightly strange to people, but you need to decide that that's the flag that you fly is him. We're going to close in communion, but I just want to think about this. We don't follow the frogs. We follow the lamb. We don't follow the beast. We follow the lamb. We don't follow the dragon. We follow the lamb. We don't follow the false prophet, the propaganda. We follow the lamb. We don't follow the prostitute or the immorality of the empire. We follow the lamb. And we follow a lamb who lays down his life for other people. So we're going to close uh, in communion. What I want you to do, uh, I know it's kind of an intense message, sorry, but uh, what I would love for you guys to do as we we close tonight, I would love for you to turn your attention to just take a minute, maybe even forgetting, you know, the people on, on your right side and the people on your left side and just finding a way to get your attention maybe even off of me for a couple minutes and get your attention back onto a God who sheds uh, his own blood because of his love for people. What a crazy idea. Wow, it's like the world would never get that. The world would never get a God who comes and bleeds because of his love for people. That'd be crazy, but to us, we recognize that the cross is the power of God. And listen, wherever you're at in your journey tonight, I know everybody's in a different place in here with their walk with God or trying to figure that all out. I want you to know this, that he wants to win your heart with the beauty of his love. That's what he's hoping. He's trusting in the beauty of his love to win your heart because he's already said he's not going to come and make you. He's not going to come and power over you. But he's trusting that the beauty of a self-sacrificial lamb will come in and capture your heart. So turn your attention there. Just focus on him. Recognize how crazy this would be to the world, but how beautiful it is to us because we understand, we, we, we see the scroll. We understand who God is. We understand his character, this self-sacrificial lamb. And part of being people who follow the lamb is, is returning to him to get your strength. Retur- returning back to him, man, when the world seems weird and you start getting aggravated and you start feeling like you want to power over instead of powering under, instead of serving, serving people, you want to rule over people and you know, look forward to their judgment. You, you go back to the lamb and he lines you back up. He gets you back on this path of I, I understand the way that I win my battles is by following the Lamb, by laying down my own life. And that's how I live. The life that I've been called to live is a life that's laid down for other people. So I want you to, to spend a minute. You guys can go ahead and pass out communion. But I want you to spend a, a minute uh, in your own heart inviting Him in and just looking at the self-sacrificial Lamb who lays down His life. just look up at me for one minute so what I would love for you to do we'll give you in just a minute we'll give you a minute to take communion in your own time that's how we like to do it here you just take you eat the bread and you uh, drink from the cup at your own time Uh, I won't lead you in prayer but hopefully this can just be a time where you talk to God I don't want to talk to God for you I want you to talk to him but what I want you to try to do is even just in your own way, because we're all in different places and we're all in different, you know, different places in our journey here. But I would love for you to, to start to commit, if you would allow me as, as some sort of pastoral role in your life for many of you, if you, would if you would start to think about you beginning to walk the way of the lamb instead of the way of the beast, the beast that powers over instead coming even in small little ways how can how can you begin to walk the way of the lamb where your your calling is to lay down your life for other people where you value people you don't, you don't listen to the to the lies of the world that would cause you to elevate yourself above 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 others you would instead listen to the lamb who calls you to lay down your life and elevate other people What's a, what's a something small, even in your own thinking? What's a way that you can begin to journey into that area? Following the lamb, saying, thy kingdom come. The invitation is this. This is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come you who have much faith and you who have little. You who have been here often and you who have not been here long. You who have tried to follow and you who have failed, come because it is the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. So come to the table. Whatever, think of a way and take communion and spend a little bit of time, but what is a way where you can, can begin to follow the lamb? So take, take a minute, take communion on your own time, and then I'll close this out in prayer. To God. Tonight, we turn our attention back to the Lamb, the Lamb who lays down His life for others. And we recommit, just like it says in the book of Revelation, we recommit our lives to following the Lamb wherever He goes. We know there's a lot of other voices, a lot of other people who seem real confident, like they, they really know what they're talking about, but they're taking us away. that's a different way than the Lamb. And so we commit to following the lamb wherever he goes. We believe that in in the sacrificed lamb, the beauty of that picture is the beauty of Jesus and the beauty of what we're called to be. We are people who will follow the lamb wherever he goes. Help us to be, even in small ways in our everyday life, help us to be peacemakers, not war creators. Help us to be people who would bring your peace into situations. Help us to be people who would bring peace into a family, peace into a workplace, peace into a conversation, Father. We want to be about your business, which is bringing peace. So we say thank you for that, Father. And we commit to following the Lamb wherever he goes. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. It's in your sons. Let me pray. Everybody said. Amen. Amen. Love you guys.